Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of Revisionist Gristory, a podcast series under the Core 4 podcast. The Core 4 is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network, alongside GBB Live and the 3ND podcast. You can find all that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. And I encourage you to do that. We actually, Brandon and I actually have something pretty, pretty fun planned. So yeah, I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and joined with me today is Mr. Hustle, Brandon Abraham. Brandon, how's it going? Uh, you know, I'm just living the dream, Parker. How are you? I don't know if this is much of the dream, but I mean, hey, I like the bright side here. I, I mostly, I think I've said that every time I've been on the podcast, so I feel like even though the world's kind of really chaotic, I feel like I'm still supposed to say that I'm living the dream or that it's just another day in paradise. That's fair. It, it's very like a Michael Scott response, to be honest. Thank you. Thank you. Not an Oscar one, a Michael Scott one. Exactly. And so we had just talked with Joe about Chandler Parsons and what he could have become in Memphis. And with Brandon, we're going to take a different alternate reality, one that a lot of Grizzly fans wish would have never happened. And that is if they just never signed Chandler Parsons. As everyone knows, he signed that big, monstrous four-year, $94 million deal, and it just didn't work. His body betrayed him, and now he's probably on his way out of the league after just an injury-riddled five-year stretch. And then he also had a car wreck back in February that probably put a dent into his NBA career as well. So not the best free agent signing decision at all for the Grizzlies. And it's one that has or had long-term implications on the franchise. I don't think it has really any implications anymore. Because, I mean, without Chandler, you don't get Jaren or Jaw, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, even though the signing itself didn't work out, the, you know, I guess the basketball gods looked, you know, kindly on Memphis and, you know, have rewarded them, you know, with John and Jaron. It was really just kind of a reward for never tanking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a little bit of a reward of, you know, you know, not, you know, being complacent with being stuck, you know, in mediocrity. And even though the signing didn't work out, I mean, going after Chandler Parsons, you know, as I'm sure you and Joe talked about, if that signing had worked, you know, we could have had a parade down Beale Street or at least, you know, had a more legitimate shot of having a parade down Beale Street than, you know, most people gave Memphis credit for. Right. I agree. And everybody kind of wishes it went differently. So that's what we're here for, Brandon. We want to kind of just go down the different avenues of what could have happened because at that time, it was a big unprecedented time in NBA free agency because they had just seen the new TV deal that caused a giant cap spike. And what it meant for the Grizzlies was it opened up another max slot that they could use and still sign Mike Conley to a max deal. So all the possibilities came up. It was like, well, they want a team, 
Mike Conley came out and said, I think at the exit interviews that year that he wanted help and he expected them to use their resources to find help, to help bring a core for championship run. Yeah. I mean, he essentially kind of called the front office out and, you know, the polite way that Mike Conley does it and is like, Hey, you got this cap space, spend money if you want me to stay. Exactly. And I actually remember seeing a tweet around exit interviews. He like specifically said Nick Batum. So like it kind of gave you a ballpark estimate of the kind of player he was looking for. Yeah, which at the time Nick Batum was a much better player than he is now in 2020. Absolutely. And I did a little bit of research on some of the names that signed four-year deals in the similar ballpark money to Chandler Parsons, not the $90 million area, but still a sizable contract that was a decent commitment for the Memphis Grizzlies. And if they still wanted to appease Mike Conley, some names that I found that would have been likely options were Evan Turner, Kent Bazemore, and Eric Gordon. So do any of those have would sound enticing to you? Like if you went back to 2016, would they sound enticing? The saddest part about that is Evan Turner is probably the most enticing option, and it's still not great because, you know, Eric Gordon, it's worked out great for him in Houston. I think, you know, it was a match, you know, kind of made in heaven with, you know, the way the Rockets are going. But at the time, I mean, he was, you know, as injury riddled, if not more than Parsons. You know, he wasn't – there was no guarantee that he was going to be healthy. In fact, I remember a late-night wash bomb that Eric Gordon and the Grizzlies were kind of in discussions on a kind of like one-year, much cheaper prove-it deal before Gordon ultimately signed with the Rockets. But, you know, if you're Mike Conley and they go out and get – Evan Turner, a guy who's not going to do anything to help the spacing on the floor. He's, you know, a guy who's another swing and a miss type, you know, Jeff Green, whoever, you know, I don't get excited at that. Um, Kent Bazemore is intriguing, but, you know, it's still one, you don't know if you're going to get him to leave Atlanta. Two, you don't know if that's going to convince Mike Conley to stay. Parsons was the far and away kind of the best small forward on the market because, you know, Nick Batum signed his five-year contract with the Hornets quickly. You know, DeMar DeRozan, Bradley Beal signed with their incumbent teams. Um, You know, all of the kind of top, you know, shooting guard, small forward type players signed with the team that they'd been with. Um, You know, so if you look at it and you kind of have to ask the question of if they don't go sign Parsons, who do they sign with, you know, that money? There's no clear answer. Someone else that, you know, kind of seems like a, uh, a Chris Wallace type move would have been the four year, $72 million deal that Luol Ding got. Um, not quite sure if that's going to convince Conley to stay. Um, especially cause I mean, Ding was a little bit younger, but he was like 50 years old when he signed that. So I'm not sure if adding, you know, an old ding was going to be worth it, you know, to keep Conley. Um, 
Jordan Clarkson, Alan Crabb, you know, Tyler Johnson or other names. The only person I could really kind of look at and with the, you know, without having hindsight of, you know, hindsight 2020 is Harrison Barnes could have been an interesting option. Um, you know, he, like Bradley Beal and everyone else signed with the Mavericks with whom he had been traded to um, after the Warriors. But, like, you know, if they could have found a way to go get Harrison Barnes, you know, one, it could have messed up the whole Warriors dynasty. And then two, you know, Harrison Barnes is an intriguing young piece to go with the core four. Right. Yeah. And with all those names, I mean, there was, there could have been some entice with Conley. I mean, Evan Turner went to Ohio state. So it could have been a little Buckeye connection there. And yeah, I agree with Baysmore. He wasn't going to leave Atlanta. He was a starter on a 60 win team that was at the top of the Easter conference every single year. I don't know why he would pass that up, especially when he was getting paid. Eric Gordon would have been intriguing but I had always said that you would have had to trade Tony Allen or Zach Randolph, and I don't think they were ready to do that. Harrison yeah. Barnes would have been the interesting one, though, because Golden State, it looks like they're going to give up on Harrison Barnes because of what he was demanding, but also who they were going for. Yes, they ended up with Kevin Durant, but they were being aggressive that summer. They were looking at some names I remember were like Al Horford, Hassan Whiteside. So Harrison Barnes was going to be out of the picture there, and he probably would have come to Memphis if Parsons would have gone elsewhere, like if he would have gotten that deal with Portland or something, or he would have gone back to Dallas. I don't know. Harrison Barnes would have been a likely option there. And it kind of fills the same, fulfills the same thing they're looking for with Parsons, is that bridge to a new era between the core four and eventually – Conley Gasol and whichever third banana they're going to sign in the 2016 offseason. I, I honestly totally forgot he was a free agent just in the midst of that create crazy offseason. I, I forgot that he was honestly even a warrior and that he left in that same summer that KD came in. Yeah, it's, I mean, because he was part of the, you know, it was him and Andrew Bogut who got shipped to Dallas as kind of like part of the sign and trade and, I mean, it, it, he really kind of, you know, when I was kind of researching before we got on, you know, it kind of caught me by surprise seeing his name, you know, you kind of had to look back and think, oh, yeah, Harrison Barnes was kind of almost kind of like the, uh, you know, sacrificial lamb, so to say, of that Warriors team after they lost to the Cavs of, oh, well, they need even more firepower. Harrison Barnes hasn't developed as much as he was expected to, he's not as good as, you know, people thought he would be, you know, they kind of put a lot of the blame on him because, you know, you're not going to go blame Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Um, but he's really the only one, um, at least from a talent standpoint that, you know, could probably still have convinced Conley to stay. And, because, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned the Ohio State thing with Evan Turner, and I yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I can see that playing a role in it and, you know, Conley just being a super nice guy in general. You know, I'm not sure how much hardball he was actually going to be playing. Um, and I guess in a sense, you know, the following season, you know, at least the following couple of years would have been better than, you know, the ones we had with Parsons. But, you know, looking at the way 
every every player we've mentioned developed. No one really sends the Grizzlies over the top like Parsons would have if the signing had worked out. Right. I agree. And I think the biggest thing that's missed in all this, like what you said with Mike Conley playing hardball, and one, I it's kind of buying and selling that because I do think he was wanting to do whatever it takes to win. He was going to look at his options. But also, too, there had to have been some sort of commitment between Marc Gasol and Mike Conley because Marc Gasol had re-signed a five-year max extension the summer before. I don't know if he's doing that if Mike Conley wasn't really committed to a future in Memphis. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there was a... I mean, it would have been a really low blow of Conley to, you know, you know, be out there recruiting Mark to stay, you know, be heavy and, you know, getting Mark to stay. And then a year later, he decides to bounce. Um, you know, so I'm not, you know, I'm kind of with you on there. But um, kind of moving forward a little bit, what really intrigued me was, so, you know, Let's say you don't sign Parsons, you know, Conley's not too pleased and he signs with Dallas. Let's just say Dallas for the heck of it because that's who he was meeting with when Parsons agreed to come to Memphis. The fallout from that, you know, could have been crazy. You know, if you don't sign Parsons, you lose Conley. What do you spend that money on? We've already kind of gone over the list. There's not, you know, a ton of great options out there to spend money on. And the Grizzlies only had a top five protected pick that next year because of the John Lewis trade. So what a terrible trade. Yeah. So, I mean, Oh God, the, do you want the, the, the good picture or the bad picture first? Because I, I can, I can do both. Ooh. Um, let's go with the good picture first. Okay. So the good picture, they, Absolutely sucked the following year. Um, get a top five pick. They keep their pick in the 2017 NBA draft, which, you know, just if we're looking at the top of the board, they're looking at Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox. Uh, hindsight 2020, some of those may not have worked out. You know, Josh Jackson, you know, up until this year in Memphis, ironically, wasn't doing much, you know, in Phoenix to really kind of warrant being the fourth overall pick. Markel Fultz had, you know, all those struggles in Philadelphia with forgetting how to shoot a basketball. And Lonzo Ball, you know, kind of was treated super unfairly by, you know, the L.A. faithful. But you can look at it in a world where the Grizzlies are at the top of that draft and they either need a new point guard because Andrew Harrison wasn't cutting it out or if they go sign – Jeremy Lin or Matthew Dellavedova to replace Conley. That's not a long-term fix. So they could go after De'Aaron Fox, Lonzo Ball, Markel Fultz, or, you know, they go after that small forward star wing player that they've been looking for, and they get a Jason Tatum or, you know, a Josh Jackson. And, you know, at least, you know, back, you know, if we rewind to 2017 and that happens, we're excited as we were the past two years getting John Jaron. Right. There's all different angles of it. I remember writing one of those alternate reality pieces on 
if they never signed Chandler Parsons. And the thing that would have been so tricky with that and that good picture, obviously you look at that and you're like, wow, like they could have just had like Jason Tatum or De'Aaron Fox. But I think there was also a lot of moving parts to that. They would have had to trade Mark Gasol, which I think would have been very easy in the summer of 2016. Even though he was coming off a foot injury, you could have convinced the team to trade in their cap space for Mark Gasol. Because being honest, when he's healthy, he was a top five center. And sometimes he was the best center at basketball. So I think teams were willing to risk that. I mean, hell, teams were spending four years and $64 million on Timofey Mozgov and Bismarck Beyond. But I'm pretty sure they would have done that for Mark Gasol. And then well, Tony and- Allen and uh, Zach Randolph are on expiring contracts. So they're easy to move to. So if you go flip them to a contender for some assets, I think that would have had to happen there if they lost Mike Conley in a free agency. Is they, would have, they couldn't just go on with just – Randolph, Tony, and Gasol, and then just a random point guard like a Jeremy Lin, they would have just had to completely blow it up. Yeah, and you you do bring up an interesting point, kind of like talking about a Gasol trade. Um, A place that, you know, I've always kind of thought Gasol would be a great fit, you know, even today and, you know, was worried about back then. You know, that was the summer Al Horford, you know, went from – Atlanta to Boston well if Mm -hmm. you know that was kind of crazy because he was staying in Atlanta and then like next thing you knew he's going to Boston you know depending and I forget about the exact timing of it but you know Boston could have been a team that goes after you know a trade for you know Mark Gasol if Conley walks you know I think I think almost every team in the NBA that needed a center you know, would be calling the Grizzlies as soon as Mike Conley signed a contract elsewhere. Oh, yeah. And then you also could have looked at it this way, where that Jonas Valanciunas, Delon Wright trade could have happened earlier. Next thing you know, you got a a young point guard and then you got a young center. And maybe instead of giving up a second-round pick, they would have given you a first-round pick. Who knows? And that would have given them – Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, and Mark Saul. And that could have happened too. Or there's just a lot of different avenues. I can't remember a lot of team situations at that point. I guess Atlanta, when they lost Al Horford, would have made sense as well. Yeah, he, he'd have been a nice kind of, you know, okay, Al left, let's go get Mark. And, and really, hell, Zebo would have been a good fit in Atlanta too. Just, you know, move both of them because, you know, the grit and grind era kind of was a lot similar to those Hawks teams. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the Hawks ended up having that one insanely good season, but they were kind of one of those teams where, Hey, this team's really good, but they're missing kind of like that star that, you know, every other team had, you know, that was a legitimate title contender. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting because I I really do think if you don't sign Parsons, you know, there's an 80% chance Conley walks and then you're left scrambling. Um, and then especially if you, you know, don't just full rebuild, let's say, you know, Chris Wallace is committed to, you know, the remaining three of the core four and, you know, reloading instead of rebuilding. Um, and let's just say for the heck of it, they go give money to 
Harrison Barnes, and then they sign Delhi, you know, Jeremy Lin, you know, Jordan Clarkson, someone like that. That's, you know, I'm not convinced that's a playoff team, you know, but I'm not convinced that's a top, bottom five team in the league. And so then you're looking at, you know, being stuck, you know, in a situation like the Hornets have been for so long where it's, they're, they're stuck in the middle, you know, they're, they're not, they don't get a top pick in that draft, you know, they'd have to trade into it. And then, you know, they don't really have hope for the future. Right. They just would have been a, a mediocre team with a bunch of dudes, because like you said, you would have signed guys like Harrison Barnes and Jeremy Lynn, Matthew Delvin Dova, and you would have had to commit a lot of, not even just a lot of money to them, but just a lot of years. I think just this summer, Matthew Delvadova's contract's expiring. Harrison Barnes, his contract was up last summer, and he inked another four-year deal from Sacramento. And then Kang's going to Kang's. Kang's going to Kang's. I mean, that that was a King's move right there. And, I mean, Jeremy Lin, he, I think he was bought out out of his contract in Atlanta. He didn't make it to the end of his three-year yeah. deal. Yeah, because he um, kind of finished up his career. He signed with Toronto um, last year. And, you know, I mean, I don't think he really sniffed the court once the playoffs started. But he, uh, you know, he's pretty much with the hindsight 2020, no one we could have signed at the point guard position to replace Conley gives you any hope, you know, would have given you any hope for the future, I guess. Right. And they also just used that draft pick in 2016 on Wade Baldwin. So how do we know they just aren't like, okay, full youth movement. Let's see what Wade Baldwin could do. And then you have 82 games of or of Wade Baldwin starting a point guard. Oh, I mean, I am, you know, I was as high on a guy like Baldwin and, you know, I still am. I still am too. The, I watched his I'm, real league highlights. It's, you know, he's a talented player. I would not have wanted to watch 82 games of him playing meaningful minutes on a team that is, you know, theoretically trying to win a basketball game. I mean, the, the spacing would have been god-awful. It, the basketball would have been terrible. Um, the one, kind of looking at the 2016 free agency list, um, and I'm kind of remembering it now, there was an outside shot the Grizzlies could have gotten Dwayne Wade. Really? Because they had just like I'm pretty sure before D Wade had signed his deal with Chicago, the Grizzlies had hired Fizdale, so there was the Fizdale connection. Oh. And then there was the kind of, you know, oh, he's unhappy in, you know, with the way Pat Riley's kind of lowballing him. Um, you know, because he signed that two year forty eight million dollar deal in uh, Chicago, his hometown, which that was the one signing I kind of looked at and was like, I still don't think D Wade was a realistic potential Grizzly, but there's enough to kind of connect the dots to where, you know, that really could have changed things. He wasn't, you know, great in Chicago. Um, I mean, between the Bulls coaching and front office, they've been a dumpster fire for a little bit, but, you know, that would have been another Wallace type move. And it, frankly, I would have loved it. You know, you have a guy like D Wade with his championship pedigree coming in to, you know, help take this core forward to the next level. It doesn't quite build the bridge from, you know, this era to the next, like 
the hopeful Parsons signing was, but that was one thing that interested me kind of thinking back to 2016 was the little bit of rumors of, oh, hey, the Grizzlies should go after D. Wade because of Fisdale and he's not happy with Miami. Yeah, it just kind of would have served as one last hurrah for grit and grind, but replacing Mike Conley with Dwayne Wade. And if it doesn't work, you just blow it completely up the next summer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a you know just a you know power swing swing for the fences type deal, but you know it's an, a, just another one that you know is a potential move that could have been done. But I mean, at the end of the day, looking at that 2016 free agency list there's no there's no one on this list that really jumps out and makes you think man if we had just signed him instead of Parsons we'd have been set I mean obviously you can look at it and say oh if we had signed Kevin Durant LeBron James you know Bradley Beal but any remotely realistic shot at you know guys that didn't sign five-year deals with their incumbent teams or you know, KD and LeBron did the, you know, one-year, two-year deals with the t- the player option. There's no one out there that jumps out at you, you know. So it, as much as people like to act like the Parsons signing crippled the franchise, um, the only argument you could really make that it was a bad move is if you, you know, see the future where they just sign a bunch of one-year deals you know, and then go after free agents in 17 or 18, you know, instead of going all in on that summer of 16. But, I mean, they're coming off a, you know, great playoff run. You know, you know they weren't – Chris Wallace wasn't thinking rebuild. And, um, I mean, Parsons was just the, the smartest move at the time. It just didn't work out. Right. And, honestly, I threw every shot – of anything materializing, even if Parsons did work out, once Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors. At that point, I was like, okay, they're not going to beat the Warriors because the Warriors have three of the, probably three of the greatest shooters of all time and Draymond Green. And with two of those shooters, they're 30-point-per-game scores who are probably going to end up being all-time great. So I... I chunked out any possibility of the Grizzlies overtaking the Warriors, even with Parsons, the minute that Wojbomb came out on Kevin Durant. And even then, on Cleveland's side, they had just come off that 3-1 comeback against the Warriors. And that, even though they got beaten five games by the Warriors that next season, they were still really, really good. Because they had LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love. On top of that, their role players were actually gelling. It was a bit before J.R. Smith kind of just lost his brain and (laughs) forgot the time on the shot clock. So they were a good team too. So I don't know. I I wasn't really sold. I was sold when they signed Parsons and – Mike Conley, before the Kevin Durant news came out, I was like, okay, they have a shot to actually make something happen here. And then Kevin Durant messed everything up. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioning it, and I I just looked it up. The year before KD signed in Golden State, Steph Curry won MVP that year. 
Kevin Durant was fifth. So you have, you know, arguably two of the top five players from the season prior, you know, literally voted on. You have two of the top five teaming up together with, you know, an elite player. And holy crap, Jamon Green got seven, was ranked seventh. He got the seventh most points that year. Um, and then you have Clay Thompson, who's lights out defensive stalwart. No one was beating them, you know, unless they got hurt. And even then it was going to be tough. And, you know, with hindsight being 2020, I appreciate the hell out of the front office swinging for the fences. Um, it didn't work out. It stunk, you know, and it Parsons didn't do himself many favors with, you know, being injured and posting going to Cancun. I mean, personally, I thought it was just a boss move. But, you know, if you're not playing, Grizz, Grizz Twitter can be a little sensitive. You know, so I, th- I think, you know, there's a lot of unnecessary bad blood because, to your point, I don't think even if the Parsons signing totally worked out, if they're beating the Warriors in a seven-game series to go to the finals or the Cavs in a final series. Right. And I want to ask you this just before – I don't think you brought up your bad picture yet, right? Oh, yeah. I kind of forgot about that one. Okay. I, I mentioned I mentioned it a little bit. Pretty much, the bad picture was basically, you know, they're stuck in the middle ground where they're not bad enough to keep their pick, but they're not good enough to really do anything. So then they're stuck without any hope. You know, not getting anyone in the uh, 2017 NBA draft. Or they would have gotten a top five pick and used it on Dennis Smith Jr. or Frank Nealikina. Yeah, that that was my. You know, I'm a depressed Grizz fan. Worst case scenario would be they get a top pick, pass on Tatum, Fox, you know, even like Fultz. You know, I think, you know, anywhere else could have shown flashes. Like, the, you know, I don't know if the Grizzlies would have messed with his shooting form if he'd have been fine. Mm-hmm. It would have been a very Grizzlies move to, like you said, get DSJ, Frank Nidalekina, Malik Monk, you know, Justin Jackson, you know, oh, yeah, the next great wing out of North Carolina. It, you know, it, that's kind of where I could have seen something terrible happening with it, and then you end up even worse off than we, than we were. Right. And to close the show, I do want to ask you this because you brought up the whole how Chandler Parsons never really helped himself. He got a lot of backlash with basically his personal life, you know, like going out, and, you know, he had the Cancun experience. For one, I almost bought a Charlotte Hornets Alonzo Morning jersey just so I can recreate that picture because I thought it was a boss move as well. And there was just a lot of weird ridicule. I mean, there was also that tweet where somebody came up to him at a restaurant and said, hey, say that I ruined the Memphis Grizzlies. And you're just like, all right, come on. This is kind of whack. Do you think there will ever be in Memphis, a fan-to-player, fan-base-to-player relation like the Grizzlies fan base and Chandler Parsons? Um, I think there can be worse relationships in a sense. Like, I think, I think the weirdest thing with the Parsons-Grizzlies relationship is at this time, the Grizzlies were so used to, you know, the personalities of their core four. 
Mark and Mike were kind of quiet to themselves, you know, didn't really speak out and do much. And, you know, Zebo and TA, you know, were a little bit more outspoken, but they were more involved in the city, you know, and having the longevity of being there, you know, they were more active, you know, whereas with Parsons, he wasn't playing, he was being, you know, paid a ton of money. And, you know, from the outside looking in, it just looked like, Hey, I'm getting paid a ton of money to sit on the bench in these nice suits, date supermodels and celebrities and not have to do anything. And then, you know, from the jump, you know, it kind of killed any chance of him doing it. Cause I remember him going to, it was Le Bonner, St. Jude dressed as like an elf around Christmas time. And he couldn't even catch some slack then, you know, it was, Oh, he's just doing this to save face. Cause he's out another two weeks. You know, it, it was very kind of, it was a soiled relationship from the start. And I think with how stubborn Grizz nation can be and the, then the lack of him really ever coming in and playing and, having much of a positive impact, you know, I think that just kind of killed it. Um, and now, I mean, on the team now, I don't see anybody having a bad relationship with the fan base, but, you know, kind of an interesting comparison. Andre Iguodala has probably been the most hated Grizzly since Chandler Parsons. Uh, I think everyone's kind of over it, been over it, you know, about a week after we shipped them off to Miami. But, you know, for a handful of months, you know, he was kind of public enemy number one in the Grizzlies' eyes. So I think I think it's possible that there ends up being a worse, you know, situation than what the Parsons-Grizzlies relationship was. But theirs was so unique, I don't think we'll ever see anything quite like it. Right. Because I remember – I mean, I think he got too much – Flack, as far as you know, like you said, he's out trying to put smiles on kids' faces at Lebonner around Christmas time, and he was still getting shade for that. I remember specifically, I met him at a MAM event, Memphis Athletic Ministries, and he was talking to every media member, just catching up with all of them, just because it's been a while since he had talked to the media. And he asked me, like, my name, he introduced himself, and I was wearing an Ole Miss shirt, so he was asking me about Ole Miss and Oxford and stuff like that. I mean, you can probably guess where the conversation went there. <laughs> but uh, And then also, too, like my girlfriends met him through St. Jude's stuff and said that he was super nice. And so, I don't know. I just think there was a bad picture there. But it, it's just corny, in my opinion. I just thought it was always really corny. Well, and especially because, like you touched on it, he's – you know, deep down the generally super good dude. I mean, you go back to anyone who covered him in Dallas, Houston, and even his short time, you know, in Atlanta, you know, for the most part, like I remember reading it after, you know, his car accident happened. Really every journalist who's been around him, anyone who actually knows him doesn't really have anything negative to say about him. I mean, at the end of the day, it was unfortunate. The dude had crappy knees. His knees were shot and it, you know, prevented him from being the player he could have been. I think I agree with you. I think it's super corny to, you know, go up and video him saying he ruined the Grizzlies or, you know, create Twitter accounts to talk crap to him on Twitter. And when he does the Q and A's, you know, ask him questions of like, like, how's it feel to ruin the Grizzlies? Stuff like that. I mean, I think it's just corny and I mean, just misguided anger because 
yeah, he could have been the bridge to one, a new era, and two, the Grizzlies taking that next step. But, you know, he was just more the scapegoat more than anything. There was a lot more to it than just, oh, you know, Chandler Parsons stinks. Right. There's always a bunch of layers to it, and there has to be a scapegoat. But, Brandon, we're about out of time here. Do you have any final remarks before we close the show? Uh, No, not really. I mean, I guess just take the time to, you know, did see the other day Parsons – it was either him or his girlfriend posted a picture on Instagram um, looking like a 6'10 Slim Shady. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> dying his hair blonde here in the quarantine, um, which, you know, I, I just hope he's doing good. You know, I know after the car accident, you know, the stuff that kind of was coming out was that, you know, the injuries he sustained were pretty much, you know, the final nail in his career, you know, really could have been a, a serious, you know, after effects, you know, but, you know, I'm just glad to see that he is seemingly looking pretty good. Yeah, for sure. And Brandon, let the people know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at BC Abraham. And uh, as always, check out the blog uh, at SBN Grizzlies. Parker and I have some heat coming at you soon. Absolutely. Yeah, you definitely want to follow SP and Grizzlies on Twitter because Brandon and I have something fun planned that you're definitely going to want to take part in. And so you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. You can find my work at grizzlybearblues.com and be sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading every episode on the GBB Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio or wherever you find your podcast. And with that, that's it.